Live by every word. That is the challenge and the opportunity the Bible gives to you. This program examines the actual words that have proceeded out of the mouth of God Himself so we can use them to guide our paths and live by them in our everyday lives. This is Live by Every Word. Thanks for joining me today here on Live by Every Word. I'm Dwight Falk. This is Trumpet Radio 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm and have a live link at thetrumpet.com. What is the most universally believed false doctrine in the Christian world? The most universally believed false doctrine in the Christian world? Well, it is simply this. And I'll give you a quote from the Herbert W. Armstrong Bible Correspondence Course. This is Lesson 31. It says, The most universally believed false doctrine in the Christian world is that all humanity is lost, consigned to an eternally burning hell, unless they, quote-unquote, get saved by accepting Jesus Christ as personal Savior now. Most have been taught that we now are in the only day of salvation, that when Christ returns to earth, the door to salvation will be closed. Now, that would be horrifying if it were true. Just think about how many people on this earth have never even heard the name Jesus Christ, don't know anything about the Bible, don't know anything about the gospel. There's many people like that. What if they grew up in a house where it was just never talked about? Is it their fault? Would God just get rid of them forever? Allow them to you know, never have a chance to be in his family? I mean, if you just stop and think about that, that doesn't square with anything the Bible teaches. Notice this famous passage. This is John 3 and verse 16. If you have a Bible handy, you could get it out and we could um, look at these together and see what God's Word says. This is a famous passage, as I mentioned, John 3 and verse 16. They used to hold signs of it up at sporting contests. I don't see that too much anymore, but this is uh, one that people probably have memorized. John 3 and verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So just stop and consider that. God loved the world so much, and we, and we don't want to you know, disregard or, or, or um, not take this passage as seriously as we should because it's been misused so many times. But if we stop and really consider it, God loved the world so much that he allowed Jesus Christ to be killed. He allowed that to happen, and Christ allowed it. Christ went ahead with the plan and followed his Father's will. Why would they go through all of that? Why would they suffer so much and risk everything if most people would never even be in the family of God? And for those that never heard the name of Christ, they'd say, well, you know, too bad. Of course not. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense when you consider what we read there in John 3.16. And, of course, we'll look at other passages today as well. But, but just you think about the logic. God had that much love. Christ had that much love and still does. They're trying to bring everyone into their family. They're not trying to get rid of people. And so just because a person today 
hasn't heard about Jesus Christ or doesn't understand his teachings, that doesn't mean that he's lost, quote-unquote. It just means that today is not the day where he's called. People don't really stop to think, though, too deeply about some of these things. But we need to. We need to understand what God teaches. And we need to understand a very important Bible truth. And it is this. The vast majority will not be saved until after Christ returns. Most people won't be saved until then. They won't have a chance at salvation. They don't even, again, know about God. Or even if they have heard the name, many of them are not called. And we see this in John 6 and verse 44. This very foundational truth. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus Christ says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Nobody can just decide to be called. God the Father has to call people. He has to do it. And most simply are not called today. But God has a plan to call all people in the future, after the return of Jesus Christ. Again, God has so much love for this world that he's going to do everything he can to bring as many as possible into his family. And so we have to understand where we are right now in God's plan. As we sit here and consider this, where are we in God's plan? This is another quote from the Herbert W. Armstrong Bible Correspondence Course. It's a free Bible course, and you can uh, sign up for it at thetrumpet.com. Absolutely free, and it's an educational service, and we'll be happy to send it to you. The quote says, We are now in the age of the church. God is not working through isolated prophets, nor through independent Christians. Rather, he is working through a small group of thousands of spirit-begotten humans, organized and unified by his laws, his government, and his truth. See, God's not working today through independent Christians. There are people that sometimes write into the program, and and they do have some experience with God's church from over the years, but they've kind of stepped out of that and said, well, I'm just an independent now. We can't be independent. We have to be part of the body of Christ. If we're called, that's how we grow. That's how we develop. That's how we support the work. So that's how God's working today. It's through the church. God's church is the means, the quote continues, by which God is now preparing this world for Christ's return. There's a warning message going out and education about the gospel, like we're talking about today. And it is through, it says, God's church that he is preparing the future rulers and teachers of his kingdom. God has laid the foundation. He is now beginning to build the kingdom of God through his church today. So we are in the church age. God is beginning to build the kingdom of God through his church today. But it's a small beginning. It's a small group. Most people are not called today. Those in God's church are preparing to help Christ rule and teach when he returns. You know, when Christ does return... He will at that time set his hand to save all of mankind, and he wants helpers in that task. He wants help. He will have 
a group of spirit born at that time beings that uh, have been saved, humans that have been born into the family of God that will help him. And there are first fruits today. The Feast of Pentecost teaches us about God's first fruits or those called into his church before his second coming. That's where we are today. We're in this church age. Now God's New Testament church began on the day of Pentecost. God's Holy Spirit was given to his people on that day. And that was a fulfillment of what Christ promised in John 14. In John 14, here we see that Christ promised that the Holy Spirit would be given soon after his death and resurrection. Notice John 14 and verse 18. It says, this is Christ speaking, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, the correspondence course notes that Christ promised he would continue to teach and support the apostles, but not in person, for he ascended to heaven. So how would he come to them? By means of the Holy Spirit. That's how he would do it. He would do it through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he fulfilled that promise there on Pentecost, AD 31, where the Holy Spirit was given. And we'll take a look at that in just a moment. Luke 24 and verse 49. Notice this. And behold, I send the promise. This is Christ again speaking. I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So the disciples had to follow Christ's instruction. They had to wait in Jerusalem until they received God's Holy Spirit. Christ would be crucified, resurrected, and then God's Spirit would be sent. And there's a vital lesson that we need to think about here, considering what happened and what's promised there in Luke 24, 49, that the disciples had to follow God's law and government. You know, Christ told them to do something, and they did it. It was a simple instruction, simple enough. He said, you just wait in the city of Jerusalem until God's Spirit is given. But they had to follow his instruction. They had to follow his law and government. And for those with God's Spirit, it must be used to follow God and obey him, just like Jesus Christ did. As we read earlier, there, there can't be an independent Christian uh, that's not the way God's working today. That's not the way God set it up. He didn't set it up to just have a bunch of independent Christians kind of doing sort of their own thing. There's one body of Christ, and it's not divided. One church, small today, but full of first fruits that God has called. And if a person's not following God's government and law, then they're not being very effective, and they're not really following God as they should be, of course. But we see here how the Holy Spirit was given, and this is in Acts 2. Acts 2 here, this is a fulfillment of what Christ promised there in Luke 24. Acts 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, see, that's the holy day there, they were all with one accord in one place. 
So they had followed Christ's instructions. They were there in Jerusalem, and, of course, they were keeping Pentecost. That's why they were all together, because, again, that was uh, the holy day, and Christ kept those days, and so did his disciples. Verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. So this is a dramatic event. God's Spirit, of course, doesn't always uh, make this sort of entry, but this was a very dramatic event, and it was to really send the message to them that this was happening. And it said, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Verse 3, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. No doubt this this was quite a miracle. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And you can study more into that. That doesn't mean they were speaking gibberish, as some people think. It means that they were speaking and people were able to understand them in different languages. And you can study into that. There were a lot of people there that uh, spoke different languages. Verse 5, it says, And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And verse 6, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And that just makes that exact point that I mentioned. See, God doesn't do anything with chaos and confusion. They weren't all just babbling incoherently and and so forth. People could hear them and understand what they were saying. What was the point of God giving his spirit? Well, it's so that the uh, apostles could preach the truth and that they could give the truth of God as a witness, and then, of course, some would uh, be called as well and support them in that work. But they needed God's Spirit to have that mind of Christ and to go forward doing the work and have Christ directing them. And it was an amazing event. The correspondence course notes, Pentecost, A.D. 31, marked the beginning of God's Spirit-begotten New Testament church. That was the very beginning of it right there. Ecclesia, the Greek word for church, means an assembly of called out ones. So a lot of times people talk about church, I think of the building or something, but what it really means is an assembly of called out ones. Remember John six forty four, None can come to Christ unless the Father calls them. It's an assembly of called out ones that have been specifically called by God the Father. The whole world, the quote continues, is not called out. Only a tiny minority are called for a special purpose. And this is pictured by the annual festival of Pentecost. Now, again, a person might hear that and think, well, that, you know, that doesn't seem fair. You know, why only a few people? Well, again, as we have been talking about, it's because these people are being prepared to help Christ. And they're going to help Christ help other people. It's all for help. It's all for helping people to come into the family of God. And remember, we have to think about John 3 and verse 16. God loved the world. He, he loves people. And he wants everyone that's willing to come into his family. And so he's making sure that everyone's going to have the best opportunity to do that and to be successful and so he's training a, a help meet, a first fruit bride that will marry Christ. You can read all about that throughout the Bible. That is going to help him then bring in 
the rest of the family. That's the purpose. That's the point of having a group of called out ones today. But before Christ returns in this church age that we're in, the world as a whole is cut off from God's Holy Spirit. You know, as we saw in John 6 and verse 44, God has to call a person where they cannot come to him and then, you know, go through the process of repentance and baptism and laying out of hands and receive God's Spirit. They just can't. Many people think they have God's Spirit, and they don't because they've never been called. The Correspondence Course says, In this age, before Christ begins to rule over the whole earth, each person is specially chosen. Like the prophets before them, these first fruits are called for a special mission, a purpose preparatory to the establishment of God's kingdom on earth and the salvation of mankind. Otherwise, no exceptions can be made. The world as a whole must remain cut off from access to salvation until Christ returns. And God's going to call people when they have the best chance of obeying him, developing God's character, and being born into his family. And you look at the world today, and there's a lot of problems out there. There's a lot of people that, uh, again, are just so overwhelmed, and this would not be the best time for them. And that's the reason as to why the world is the way it is today. Why does the world have so many problems? It's because God's Spirit is not available to people in general. And so they're breaking the law, they're going and they're living a way that seems right to them, and they're reaping the fruit of that, which is negative. That's why wars, that's why violence, that's why all of these problems is because people aren't, aren't thinking with the mind of Christ. Only a very few are called out today. But after Christ's second coming, all will have a chance to receive God's Spirit and use it to take on the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, that of Christ Jesus. How is that possible? Only with God's Spirit. And then what are they going to do with that mind? Well, obey God. Follow God, just like Jesus Christ did. And then there's going to be peace and prosperity. And it'll be all over the world at that point. The world's cut off today, but God has called a few in this church age. And we need to make sure we're doing all we can to support God in his work and to follow him and develop more of God's character so that we can help the rest of the world come into the family of God after Jesus Christ returns. That's all the time we have for today on this edition of Live by Every Word. Thank you for spending some of your time with me today. I'm Dwight Falk. Until next time, let's all strive to more perfectly live by every word of God. You've been listening to Live by Every Word on Trumpet Radio 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.